Salams guys, my name is Mohammed Zaud and I'm the co-founder of Toledo Society, which is a podcast network dedicated to English speaking Muslims across the globe. We've launched a couple of shows and we have several in the pipeline. Our first show, which is called The Transit Lounge, which I host, is currently live and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. On The Transit Lounge, we interview people who've had a considerable impact on the Muslim world. People who've had positions at the White House, members of parliament, business people and community people. We also have another show that's currently live called Seven Stories, Seven Minute Stories as you drop off your kids to school. We'd love your feedback and if you'd like to find out more, visit ToledoSociety.com. That's T-O-L-E-D-O Society.com. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace, mercy and blessings of Allah be with you. Thank you for joining me, Mushra, here with the incredible Ustara Yasmin Mujahid against the backdrop of Platypilok Hills in Cape Town. I'm here representing AccidentalMuslims.com and let me just say, I'm a little bit starstruck, so excuse me if I err a little. Yasmin, as most of you already know, is an acclaimed author of both Reclaim Your Heart and Love and Happiness. I'm busy reading Reclaim Your Heart at the moment. She's a motivational speaker, a mom, a journalist, a poet, a lecturer, and the list most certainly does not stop there. Welcome, Yasmin. Assalamu alaikum. It's so lovely to have you here with me. Waalaikumsalam. It's lovely to be here. Yasmin, the interview is going to be a little bit different. I have questions here from some of your fans, but in between I'm going to throw in some fun curveballs so that we can connect with you on a different level. I hope that's okay with you. Hopefully it'll be okay. <laughs> Firstly, how would you describe your, your life in a film title? Oh, film title. Um, you can make up one. Okay, so I think, um, okay, I'll make up one, yeah. So a film title describing my life, um, I think, I would probably say an unfinished life. And the reason why is that uh, I think that we, as we go through life, it's, it's, a, it's a journey. And um, it's sort of a constant uh, struggle, but also a constant growth, like a process of growth. So sometimes you get to stages and you think, okay, I'm there, but you're not there yet. And, you know, you have to keep going. So I'd say that probably that would be my title. And then a question from all working Muslim moms. This question popped up a few times and it's a question from me as well. As a female, how do we make it all work? Working, family life, contributing to society, improving our spirituality and doing it all excellently for the sake of Allah. Okay, so... Um, I think they want us to speak louder, so um, I'll okay. try to speak louder, <laughs> like a lot louder. Uh, can you hear me? Okay, so how to make it all work uh, for, for women and men, really. Uh, we have a lot of roles that we balance, and I think that the best way to make it work is to realize that you're not the one managing your own life. See, I think one of the mistakes that we make is that we try to manage our own lives, mm. and... Um, when you try to manage your own life, you, you tend to have actually become more scattered because uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the manager. And, if, and, and I've just found in my own personal life that whenever I'm trying to hold things together myself, yeah. 
everything's <laughs> falling apart. Uh, but when we give it to Allah, meaning that we do our part, but we uh, give it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to manage, to be the driving force in our lives, that's when things are a lot smoother and a lot easier to manage, uh, in, in, in be managed, basically. And practically, um, I, and I'm a big advocate of this, and I teach this in all of my courses, um, anytime I talk to an audience, I try to remind them of this. And that's the power of dhikr in our lives. To remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout our day makes our life so much easier and actually makes things a lot easier uh, to manage and a lot smoother. So my advice really is the only way to be able to balance so many roles is to make time for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you do that, it, it creates uh, much more barakah in the rest of the day and in the rest of your time. What is your stance with regards to feminism? Hmm. It's a hard one. Yeah, feminism. Um, so the thing is that I believe that within the deen, so within what Allah and his messenger gave us, is the solution to all of our problems. And so uh, anytime we have a philosophy um, or an ideology, yeah that is in line with the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then it's going to be something beneficial. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something that's going to push humanity forward. But anytime we have an ideology that is um, contradictory to anything in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, anything contradictory to what Allah and His Messenger gave us, it's only going to bring us backwards. Mm -hmm. And so really it comes to uh, which, which parts of these ideologies are in line with what we've been given by Allah and His Messenger, and those are the parts that we take. And anything that is not, we leave. And that's because the creator knows his creation. And, um, you know, you look at any kind of car manufacturer, right? If you have a Mercedes, you aren't going to go to the Nissan handbook to figure out how to take yeah. care of the Mercedes. You go to the manufacturer because the manufacturer knows best how to take care of its creation, his creation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our creator. So anything that's in line with, with the handbook of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be something that's beneficial for us. Now on the, on the subject of feminism, um, you know, I, I don't like, like a lot of the terminology that we have, I don't think is, necess is necessary. For example, we sometimes have terms like moderate Muslim or, um, you know, Muslim hello, feminist. Hello friendly. Yeah. Um, you know, these kinds of words I think are, are somewhat redundant because um, Islam by definition is moderate. I don't need to call someone a moderate Muslim. Um, you know, even Islamic feminism or, or a Muslim feminist, by definition, the Prophet ﷺ, he came with rights for women. So it's already in the, in the deen. I don't need to add any extra labels to what's already perfect. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the Prophet ﷺ came at a time when women were being buried alive and were, were considered, you know, they, they, they weren't given those rights. And he came and gave them those rights and gave them that honor through Islam. And so um, Islam itself gives women rights. And I don't need to, to, to take another label or another ideology in order to make Islam into something it already is yeah. fundamentally. Should marriage be a priority in every single Muslim's life? Or is it just another means in gaining Allah's pleasure? This, of course, could be done in other ways. Okay. So um, marriage, as all 
uh, acts of worship are a means to get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are not an end. It is not an end in and of itself. However, it is a means that is part of the sunnah, meaning that the Prophet ﷺ encouraged us to get married. He um, described marriage as half of our deen. Uh, and, and the reason for that isn't because we are necessarily incomplete without it, but it's because it's such a powerful means. It's such a powerful uh, road to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and tool uh, to, uh, to get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you're in a healthy marriage, it, it helps you towards reaching Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's, it's just a very, uh, it, it's one of the most, you know, it's because of, because of how effective it is in helping you get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's, it's referred to as, you know, fulfilling half of your deen. So it's definitely something that's part of the sunnah, it's something that's encouraged. Um, but again, it is a means, meaning that it isn't the end. If a person is not married or is no longer married, it doesn't mean that they are deficient in terms of, you know, uh, being a slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They can definitely get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in other ways. Um, however, marriage is one of those very, very um, powerful and, 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 and beautiful ways to get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are a new addition to the crayon box. What color would you be and why? That's really weird. Um, I've just been asked what color crayon I would be. Okay. Um, gosh, uh, I, I don't know. Um, well, I would hope that I could be something like green <laughs> because um, they say that green is supposed to be something that brings um, serenity. And that's why, like, when you have a show like this, you're in the green room because it's supposed to calm you. So um, I don't know if I if this is actually what I am, but what I what I seek to do is to try to help people uh, find peace and find serenity in their lives. Um, and even when people are going through difficulty, uh, I my goal is to be able to help people, uh, myself included, find peace within even their storms. Um, so I would hope it would be green, I guess. It's beautiful. Those are Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's Yes. Any advice for those struggling with anxiety? So, gosh, anxiety. The thing about anxiety is um, sometimes we, we tend to have certain patterns of thinking uh, and behavior that makes our anxiety worse. And, and this is something I taught in my course, and I will also speak about, inshallah, on Saturday. So one of my courses is called I Seek Change. And that course is specifically about depression, anxiety, uh, dealing with, with, with those types of issues, and then also talking about the unseen and, and kind of understanding the difference uh, between these issues. But uh, when it comes to anxiety, one of the mistakes that we make uh, and, and, and this is something I, I, I discuss in more detail in the course, of course, but is that we don't have oftentimes enough mental discipline that when a thought comes to our mind, it's, it's a lot like I use the analogy of someone knocking on the door of our house. So when someone knocks on the door of our house, we are quite, we are quite selective of who we allow into our home. For example, if we and you know, you understand there's an issue of security here, here in South Africa. If you see someone knocking on the door of your home and this person is someone you don't know and they're carrying a lot of weapons, you're probably not going to let them in, right? Because you know that that person's probably there to do harm. That's what happens with negative thoughts. Whether those thoughts are, and, and negative thoughts come in, in many forms. Sometimes they're 
um, and you know, fears. Sometimes it's it's really negative self-talk. We have a lot of negative self-talk that we allow. And I think what happens is that when we see that there's a negative thought, unfortunately, we're too open about allowing that in. Mm-hmm. See, our mind and our heart are a sanctuary, and we have to guard our mind and our heart like we would guard our home. We can't allow negative thoughts to, to live and, and, and breed. And, you know, we allow this person in with all these weapons, and we allow them to stay for dinner. We feed them, mm-hmm. you know, stay for the night. I have some more biryani, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and I think we just have to be more guarded when it comes to our negative thoughts, that we don't give a place for them to, to grow and fester in our hearts and our mind. Uh, and, and my best advice for anxiety or for fears specifically is when, when there's a thought that knocks on, on the door of your mind or your heart, that's a fear that you have. Rather than indulging the fear, uh, the best thing that we can do is to make dua about the thing that we're afraid of. So first thing is that you make dua about your fear and ask Allah to protect you from that which you're afraid of. And then the second thing is you ask yourself, is there an action that I can take um, you know, that, that in regards to this fear? And if there is, and of course it's halal and it's a good idea, then you take that action. And if there isn't, then you continue to make dua. But once you've done that, it isn't, uh, it isn't beneficial to continue to just ruminate about the fear. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's best if we use that fear to make dua and to take action. And then we don't allow that fear to just grow. Because what happens is our fears then, they start to grow legs and arms. And, and actually, mm-hmm. we feed our fears. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, and roots. So what we're doing is we're actually feeding our fears through... Um, indulging them um, in our thoughts. What I got from um, reading your book, Reclaim Your Heart, as someone that suffered from anxiety and depression myself, was that um, besides feeding our fears, we get attached. We get attached to dunya, we get attached to people, we get attached to things, status. And if you lessen the attachment and get a, become attached to the Creator, it relieves your anxiety. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, one other thing about anxiety is tawakkul, is that when we can put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it significantly helps with, with, with feelings of anxiety. And, and one of the best examples uh, I can think of of that is, I give people this scenario that, imagine that you step outside and your mother is picking you up. And what happens is your mother starts driving and you ask, where are we going? And your mother says, you know, you'll see, don't worry about it. Uh, at that point, there's no one who would call the police and say out of out of panic. Yeah. Why? Because you trust your mother. So when we trust Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, who's driving our lives, it it significantly reduces our panic and our fears. So the more that we can trust Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, the easier it is to relax and to not have as much anxiety. Oh. What is the funniest thing that has happened to you recently? Like something that made you laugh from your tummy. Um. My kids do that every day. <laughs> so, like, um, you know, alhamdulillah, I'm traveling with them and um, we have some friends that are with us and like <laughs> one of my friends, she's just like, never a dull moment. So that's actually very true. Um, I guess, I guess they, 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 uh, they have strong personalities and they each have their own kind of will. So I think they got that from their mother and alhamdulillah, they're definitely never a dull moment. So, What do you think are possible solutions to problems Muslims face in the modern world. That's a heavy one. It's a big one. Yeah. It's a big one. Um, but I think you touched on it. I think 
for me personally, um, what's the quote from Rumi? Yesterday I was clever and I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise and I want to change, change myself. myself. Yeah. So I think if we all start with ourselves, then we can address the issues in the world yeah. after. Absolutely. Um, I think to answer your question, uh, I'd probably answer in two ways. The first is that the Prophet ﷺ diagnosed the root of our problems in, in, in a hadith uh, more than 1400 years ago. He said that, the time will soon come when the people, when the nations will gather one another, they'll call one another to attack you, like people call one another to share from their dish. Um, he's describing a political sort of situation almost, right? And he says that Allah will remove the fear from the hearts of your enemies and will put in your heart something called wahan. Now, he also described that the ummah will become like the froth on the ocean. And if you think about the froth on the ocean, it's very weak. And it's very, it doesn't have its own self-determination. It kind of just goes wherever the tide takes it, right? And he tells us why this happens. And he diagnoses it by defining the concept of wahan. And he defines it as hubbid dunya wa karahiyatul maut. The love of dunya and the hatred of death. So essentially the root of our issues, whether they're political or you know, societal, mm -hmm. is actually our love of dunya. Mm -hmm. That the love of dunya is the root cause of all the other diseases of the heart, the root cause of all of our problems. I mean, if you look at what countries are doing to each other, when you look at what leaders are doing to their people, when you look at what oppressors are doing to the, to the, to to the oppressed, it's all love of dunya, love of power, love of money, um, complete disregard for others because of selfishness and greed. So if you look at the root of all these problems that we see, whether it's Muslims or non-Muslims, it is love of dunya. It's hubb dunya. And so I think that like individually, and, then, and that brings me to the second point, and that is that the formula for change, Allah says in the Quran, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُغَيْرُ مَا بِقَوْمٍ حَتَّى يُغَيْرُ مَا بِأَنفُسِهِمْ That indeed Allah doesn't change the condition of a people until they change what's inside themselves. So what we have to do is we look at our condition. We say, you know what? There's so many problems. How are we going to start to change that? And the answer is we have to start to change ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we have to, we, like within myself, I have to work on this disease of hubb dunya and then at a societal level. Firstly, the question is what inspired you to become an ustada? And did anyone in particular play a role in you making the decision to become who you are today. But first clarify for me, what does Ustada mean? Okay, so Ustada just means teacher. Okay. Um, I, I definitely don't um, allow anyone to call me a sheikha because I'm not. Um, but basically all I am is a teacher. And a teacher, why am I a teacher? How did I become a teacher? Um, I think it's sort of something natural with, within me ever since I was young. Um, and that's because... Uh, Probably because I, I like to share. <laughs> um, you know, when I when I, I would like go to my sister, and I would tell her, like some realization that I had, and I probably usually I just made it up, but I would be like, guess what? And she would be like, what? And I'd say, guess. And she'd have to literally guess, like out of like the the blue, and and I would make her guess like a few times, and then I would tell her this realization, and she'd be like, how do you know? And I'd say my mind told me, <laughs> but basically ever since I was little, like even if I didn't know what I was talking about, but I liked to share. Um, and so I think as I grew up and I started to realize things through my own life, um, I went through experiences that taught me a lot about 
different things. And, and naturally I like to share. And so I think that's really what made me into a teacher somehow. Um, it wasn't like a plan that I had. Um, I think it was just me going through life and then talking about it as I went through it and specifically writing about it. Um, that kind of, it just happened that way. I think your journey of writing and the way you explain things and how to get things across. I think your journey's brought you here. It always brought you here. It's a gift. Yeah. Well, Allah brings us all, yeah. you know, where we're meant to be. So, What is the most interesting thing about you that we wouldn't learn from your resume alone? Do you have any hidden talents? Those will have to remain hidden. Okay. <laughs> Any advice for our Muslim youth? My advice for Muslim youth is don't get deceived by the glitter of dunya. Um, I think it's easy when you're young t to sort of think that you'll live forever, um, to, to, to get really caught up in the moment, to get caught up in things that don't matter. I think we live in a world right now where there's so much obsession over things like um, appearances. Uh, social media has made uh, the way we look, the way we dress, the way we appear of utmost importance. I think I would say to youth that these things don't really matter in, at the end of the day and to really try to see through the hologram and, and the filters yeah. and to try to, to look at what really matters in life and uh, not to get distracted by all of the uh, distractions, really, that are all around us right now, and, and more so in the world that we're living in today, uh, because there's just social media has really created a new world, a world where everybody is on display all the time, right? Every time we eat, we, you know, the world has to, to, to take, see a picture of what we're eating before we can eat it. Um, if we get married, everyone has to know about it in real time. Um, if we got engaged, if we have a baby, it's like everything in our life is constantly on stage. We don't just do things anymore. We don't just travel with our families, but everyone has to see photos of, of where you are with your family. You have to check in. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a huge invasion of privacy, but it's also, uh, it's, a, it's just we're living in a world where just everything is, is on a stage. And so just to kind of resist that urge to get caught up in it, and to really look at what matters in life and, and, um, and to focus on that. Don't seek affirmation from the Exactly. Outside. Seek it from... From Allah. That's exactly true. Exactly. Um, this one's from me. Um, personally, you touched on it a little bit. Um, the quote by Edmund Burke. Am I loud enough? The quote by Edmund Burke um, haunts me daily. He says, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Given the changing face of the modern world, the liberal world, free society, we're raising kids in this world. What matters, with matters such as transgender, asexualization, the decline of morals and values, where anything goes in society, with social media becoming a platform where haram is paraded. Um, and it's accepted and it's cool, even by Muslims. Are we good men doing nothing? Are we back in the age of Sodom and Gomorrah, mixed with the age of idolatry, with where we idolize pop figures? And are we allowing evil to triumph? Um, that's a big question. 
I think one of the biggest problems that we're facing, and if we could, if we could resist this one problem, I think a lot of other problems could be prevented. And that is the problem of desensitization. So you've mentioned a couple issues. Um, and what's happened, I believe, is that because we've seen uh, images, we've, we've been bombarded with almost, I mean, really, it's shamelessness. Mm. We see shamelessness uh, in the movies. We see it in the billboards. We see it in the magazines. We see it in the commercials. We see it everywhere around us until actually our hearts become numb to it. They become desensitized to it. So, for example, we'll see we'll see someone dressed in a shameless way or acting in a shameless way, uh, habits which are shameless, and we've become completely desensitized to it. We don't notice it anymore, and that's something very dangerous because the Prophet ﷺ said, if you see something wrong, you should try to change it. And he said, you should try to change it first with your hand, and if you cannot, then with your tongue. So you speak out against it. And then he said, if you cannot, so you can't do either of these two things, then at least hate it in your heart. And that's the weakest of Iman, the weakest of faith. So if we stop trying to change things that are wrong, that's a problem. But if we stop even hating it in our heart, if we don't even notice that it's wrong anymore, that's an even bigger problem. Because that's the weakest of Iman, is to at least feel a sense that this is wrong. But I fear that our youth today... And, 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 and us today, uh, we don't even recognize wrong as wrong anymore. Like we don't notice it. And that's simply because we're so overexposed to it. And you mentioned a few issues, but we're so, so overexposed to the shamelessness, at, you know, fahsha and munkar as the Quran refers to it, that we don't notice anymore. And I said, so I think just even getting our hearts to feel it again uh, is the first step to, 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 to then trying to change. If you could invent an app, it's a fun one. If you could invent an app that would make your life easier, what would it be? It's already been invented. Okay. So um, <laughs> it's the app I talk about in every single talk, every single lecture that I speak about, and it's my Dua app. <laughs> um, basically, it's a, it's an app, M-Y-D-U-A-A, among many apps. It's Fortress of a Muslim. It's a collection of the supplications of the Prophet, um, from the and, and supplications from the Quran and from the Sunnah. Uh, incorporating these supplications, these of God in our life, actually change our life, uh, and and so that would that would really be what it is. Because when we use, when we start to remember Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala throughout our day, that's the thing about Islam. It's not like a, it's not an impractical religion, right? It's not a religion we just do once a year or only in Ramadan or on Friday at Jum'ah. But it's like every day. It's, it's, nice. a, it's a it's lifestyle. a lifestyle, exactly. So the Prophet ﷺ came in the, as a human being, as a messenger. You know, Allah could have sent messengers who were angels to us, right? But Allah sent human beings. And the reason for that is so that we can take them as examples and actually live according to those examples. So the Prophet ﷺ was a human who lived a life like us. He got married, he had children, he had friends, he had... You know, he was a, a leader. He, he did these things that we do. And so he teaches us how to do these things in life. And at the same time, remembering Allah while we're doing them. And so I just think that that's, it is actually life changing. It, it, you know, when we incorporate the afkar in our mundane life, uh, it changes our experiences completely and it changes our state. Uh, so I'd, I'd say really that's the, probably the most important app uh, that, we can, that we can have. Sounds like it helps you prioritize. Absolutely. Yeah.
Okay, last one. <laughs> All right. Here we this go. This is you need to listen. This is this is quite important. Okay. Okay. Today is your last day. You're going to die. Oh dear. You only have enough energy to say a few <laughs> words to us. What would they be? I just saw the expression of those in the... <laughs> um. Okay, so today's my last day and I'm going Okay. Just a few words. So I'm, I'm giving advice because I'm so going to die. Okay. Um, it's your last words. <laughs> okay. Um, honestly, uh, my advice... Uh, it's not my advice, but it's the advice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They, he tells us in the Quran, Ya ayyuhallatheena So in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the believers, and he says, Oh, you who have believed, fear Allah. Have taqwa. Taqwa is this consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything that we do. And let every person look to what they've put forward for tomorrow. See, I think we live in a society where we're very worried about what we're doing in 24 hours or what we're doing tonight. But Allah here is reminding us to look at what we've planned for the tomorrow, capital T, mm. the hereafter. And let everyone look forward or, or plan, know and look at what they've put forward for tomorrow. I think that like as a traveler myself, I travel a lot, right? And it's like if I know that I have a flight coming up in a week, but I'm not ready for it. Or if I have a flight tomorrow and I haven't packed, right? So that means that I'm going to go there empty-handed. I'm going to. I'm not going to be prepared. Um, if I'm moving into a house and I haven't furnished it, I'm going to get there and it's going to be an empty house. You know, some of us see every single person is headed towards that home. Everyone is. We're all headed towards the hereafter. But some of us have prepared for it and some of us haven't. But that doesn't change the fact that we're going there. Like, it's a certainty. And so really what Allah is telling us is that we should prepare for it. Just like when we're going to move, we prepare by furnishing that home. And when we're going to fly, we prepare by packing. When we're going to travel, we have our stuff. And, and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us to prepare for what we're going to you know, put forward for tomorrow. And, and so that when we get to that home, it's not empty. And, and worst of all, I mean... We, you know, there are some people who are burning that house down, you know, and, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to, to furnish the home of the hereafter and to allow us to prepare for that because every single person is going there and it's just foolishness to not prepare it. Uh, and, then, and then Allah reminds us again to have taqwa and, and to, to have consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and then in the following ayah, he tells us, he warns us, do not be like those who forgot about Allah. So he made them forget about themselves. And I think this is really the essential issue. Um, when we talk about identity crisis, when we talk about being lost, why does that happen? It happens because we forget about our purpose. We forget about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's really the best advice I can think of if I was. That was entertaining, enlightening, and fun. Shukran. Alhamdulillah. Thank, thank you. I'm honored to interview you. I hope I spoke loud enough and everybody can hear me. <laughs>
Salams guys, my name is Mohammed Zaud and I'm the co-founder of Toledo Society, which is a podcast network dedicated to English-speaking Muslims across the globe. We've launched a couple of shows and we have several in the pipeline. Our first show, which is called The Transit Lounge, which I host, is currently live and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. On The Transit Lounge, we interview people who've had a considerable impact on the Muslim world. People who've had positions at the White House, members of parliament, business people and community people. We also have another show that's currently live called seven stories seven minute stories as you drop off your kids to school we'd love your feedback and if you'd like to find out more visit toledosociety.com that's t-o-l-e-d-o society.com so that's it for today's show we hope you added value we hope you enjoyed it but most of all we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.